We'll begin today with a correction. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn with Lisa Garvin and Laura Johnston. And Laura would like to take the floor before we get started. Yeah, I want to apologize for a misstatement I made on yesterday's podcast about the AP classes and two bills in Ohio that would limit what you could teach in social studies classes. Honesty for Ohio Education is a coalition that's fighting against the two bills in the legislature. And the spokesman actually said each of the bills hurts the education of Ohio students and the potential of losing AP courses in Ohio makes it worse. So just wanted to clear that up. I misunderstood. Okay, let's get on to today's stories. What was the response when a federal judge repeatedly demanded to know in court yesterday who at First Energy paid the $60 million in bribes that the company has admitted to paying? Laura, this is a delightful exchange. The judge just (laughs) repeatedly saying, so who, who, who did he get his answer? No, he didn't. And this is a great story by John Coniglia that gives you, you know, you feel like you're in the courtroom and just as shocked as all of the 30 attorneys sitting there going, what just happened? This is federal judge John Adams, and he is known for being a bit of a loose cannon. He's had some spars with people in his courtroom before, but I don't know that anybody's seen this before. So he lashed out an attorney representing First Energy shareholders. He demanded the name of the official who approved the $60 million in payments to the nonprofit federal prosecutors say acted as a collection plate for Larry Householder and it basically made made the House Bill 6 bribery happen. So he said, who is it that paid the bribes? And then he started raising his voice. He said, are you going to give me the names of the person or not? And the attorney said it was a senior executive at First Energy. He would not identify him, citing a confidentiality agreement and involved in this mediation process of the settlement. So Adams ended the hearing, left the bench. Well, look, here's the thing. We are deep, deep, deep into this. We're going to hit the two-year mark of when this became public this summer. And Mm -hmm. they know. The company knows exactly who the chief briber was. Why Mm -hmm. isn't that person charged? I think the judge's frustration is we're coming up on the two-year mark. What are prosecutors thinking? If everybody knows who did it, why isn't he charged with bribery the company has already admitted to? It's a great case of a judicial frustration. And obviously, this isn't a criminal uh, case in his court, so he can't demand it from the prosecutors. But you're right. It's a civil case. This is the derivative shareholder uh, lawsuit. And Adams wants to know why the company would settle for just $180 million from the insurance since the losses to First Energy could reach into the billions of dollars. So he's trying to get to the bottom of why they're settling at this amount. We've talked about this on the podcast before, that they reached the agreement for $180 million, but it has not been approved by a judge yet. And the attorney for the shareholder said it was not part of the settlement, but there are separate attempts to recoup payments from some officials that would be not included in that $180 million. But well, now, he's Adams... A- but he's also annoyed because they took this to Columbus to keep it out of his purview. So when he right. heard about this, he said, get in here. You know, we had this case here. I want some answers. But I can't help but think this doesn't put a huge amount of pressure on the prosecutors to put up or shut up here. I mean, right. the company is saying, we know who bribed. We know who created this whole scandal. 
in the state house, the biggest ever. So if the company knows where are the federal prosecutors on this, this is becoming a bit of a scandal in and of itself. And I think that's you called Adams a loose cannon. I call him a common sense jurist <laughs> expressing the frustration of us all. These people, you know, people in the state house are up for reelection again this year if they ever have districts. Shouldn't the voters know if there are any more that were involved in this scandal? When do we see the criminal charges? You're completely right. And Adam said he received a letter from a shareholder asking the judge why the board members are not being held accountable. So, I mean, we're talking about voters and the public in Ohio, but there's also these shareholders that are trying to get money back from, you know, billions of dollars lost from First Energy. And so they're writing to the judge saying nobody else is sticking up for us. And Adam said to the attorney, no one's had to suffer the consequences. There's some insurance money, but no one has had to pay. And he's right. And he's talking both criminally and civilly here like if they're just going to pay out through insurance where's the you know where's the pain going to be felt okay you're listening to today in ohio let's stick with the first energy scandal it is just the gift that keeps on giving to reporting teams why did it take so long for ohio's public utilities commission to finally order an audit to find out whether first energy used customer money our money illegally to pay its bribes and for corruption in HB6. Lisa. Well, there was a whole lot of obstruction going on, you might say. I mean, this journey started back in September of 2020 when the Ohio Consumers Council asked for an audit. They were denied at that time by the PUCO judge Greg Price, who we've talked about earlier in this podcast, who has recused himself finally. Um, PUCO... uh, Back then, after the Ohio Consumers Council asked for that audit, Price did order a First Energy to conduct its own audit. And guess what? That audit didn't find any wrongdoing at all. Well, the Ohio Consumers Council wasn't happy with that. Um, uh, The OCC also asked for an independent committee to oversee the auditor that will be hired for this new audit, but there's no action been taken on that yet. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have an outside look at this, finally, but there were a lot of obstructions thrown up, you know, in in this investigation. Yeah, I mean, the attorney having those conflicts of interest and continuing to work and declaring there'll be no outside audit. Unbelievable that that got this deep into it. But finally, we'll get an answer and they may have to give back money to us as well as to shareholders, as well as hopefully some of them going to prison. Now, oh, I did want to add, though, that PUCO yesterday did deny the Ohio Consumers Council request for information on why the audit of, of a controversial fee was tanked, and they didn't get that information. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, this is the best story of the day. It's on the front page of The Plain Dealer. It's all over Cleveland.com. Who is Smokey the Dog of Cleveland, and what unprecedented honor did it receive posthumously Wednesday? Laura, go ahead. So Smokey is a Yorkshire Terrier who served during World War II. She became the first dog yesterday to be honored in the Animals in War and Peace Distinguished Service Medal. There was a ceremony. She was recognized for her exceptionally meritorious service to our nation and duty of great responsibility. And the award was accepted by 14-year-old Anna Wynn, the granddaughter of the original owner. Um, on her, so she just turned 14 yesterday, so that's a pretty cool birthday. And he actually just passed away in December. This medal was just created in February. It's the highest award American animals can receive. And Wynn certainly, or sorry, Smokey certainly deserves it. She was 
with um, when his whole career or career in the army, basically, she's found in a foxhole in New Guinea and served with his Air Force reconnaissance squadron. She gained hero status when she helped engineers build an air base. They needed engineers needed to run this communication wire through a 70 foot long pipe. It was only eight inches in diameter and soil had sifted through the corrugated sections of the pipe joint. So they filmed almost as much as half. They could have it could have been three days of work out in the open like a ripe target for bombing for 200 ground 250 ground crewmen instead little little smoky ran through this with the wires and and got the job done in minutes so she sounds incredible she's like um well and then she was the first therapy dog i mean right, the, the guy exactly when was in the hospital and the dog the, somebody snuck the dog in and everybody lit up there was even one guy who had stopped communicating because of ptsd and as soon mm-hmm. as Smokey dropped into his lap he started talking yeah it, it, i mean sounds like an incredible story she was just like four pounds i mean tiny little thing but she was beloved by all of these people and yeah is known as the first known therapy dog doctors let her in the hospital and then she became she came back to cleveland she became a staple on a sunday morning children's show and entertained in ba hospitals nursing homes schools and fairs that she knew like several hundred tricks and uh she was buried in a world war ii ammunition box beneath a tree in the rocky river reservation mm-hmm. the same tree where Wynn and his wife had carved their initials when they became engaged before the war which is just like the sweetest thing oh. now there's they a monument it. to her but they, yeah, well, yeah they, 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 they created a monument in yeah. 2005 that's in the reservation. The um, picture of Smokey in the World War II helmet that we have on the front page <laughs> of Plain Dealer and on our site. I mean, that that's just so, so adorable. You can't and miss it. so small. She fits like entirely into this helmet. But and the yeah, bright so. eyes looking at you. It's just unbelievable. And I got to say, Bill Wynn, the owner, was a photographer for the Plain Dealer. So I did not know that. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, that family reached out because of that mm-hmm. and said, hey, th- this dog's getting this honor. And it was like, really? Okay, let's jump on that. Can't go wrong with the story about a war hero dog. Yeah, Check Chris it out. Chris Quinn on- is always a, a defender of, do- of animal stories, Absolutely. a big lover of animal <laughs> stories. <laughs> Can't go wrong. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What does the sale of Neela Park in East Cleveland mean for the beloved Christmas tradition of the Christmas lights? Lisa, General Electric has slowly but surely just winnowed away all of its presence. It's dwindling again. Will we eventually lose those lights? It's hard to say at this point. Uh, They haven't said, you know, the new owners haven't said anything yet. So it remains to be seen. And actually, my heart sank when I saw this, you know, when you sent this to me last night. I was like, oh, my God. But what's happening is that GE Lighting, which is the only subsidiary of General Electric that's still at Neela Park, they are selling that 92-acre complex to a Milwaukee-based real estate firm, Phoenix Investors. That sale should close at the end of this month. The terms of the sale were not discussed closed, but GE Lighting will remain as a tenant on the campus. Spokesman uh, Ben Sabal says the chance to return the park to its former glory and keep it as a tax revenue base for East Cleveland, which East Cleveland desperately needs a revenue base, and they want to expand that revenue base by adding new tenants to this campus. It's a wonderful campus. There were a couple years ago when the Neela did their Christmas lights, they actually allowed people to drive through the campus that year. 
that was the first time they did it in like 50 years so I got to see the campus it's really beautiful it's 20 Georgian brick you know buildings it's just really a wonderful campus um the Phoenix investor or the Phoenix investors chair and founder Frank Carvello says they want to do thoughtful renovations on the property they want to attract high quality tenants to that so they are dedicated to saving it and you know saving its historical significance it was built in 1913 and I did not know this but NELA stands for National Electric Lamp Association there are 250 GE lighting workers on this campus out of 700 total and they will consolidate for from 20 buildings down to about two so they can lease the rest of it but also phoenix investors owns plants in logan and bucyrus ohio those will close an unknown number of employees will be laid off here in the u.s canada and china but there was no word about the christmas lights but i assume that if ge lighting is still there the lights will still go on yeah but with the way they've dwindled there eventually it seems like they won't be present anymore they're still there in much diminished numbers but we'll have to see i imagine they will do the lights this year just because they're going to hear from a lot of disappointed people like you if they don't Mm -hmm. you're listening to today in ohio how is the legendary cleveland law firm of squire Patton boggs doing its part to support the people of ukraine during the russian invasion laura The law firm, which was founded in Cleveland, still has a big presence here, is closing its Moscow offices. It said in a statement that it's become clear it's no longer tenable for us to continue our operations in Russia, that the office closure will end its relationship with a number of clients. Sixteen of the firm's lawyers work in Moscow. And, uh, yeah, so they'll they'll be ending. I, I don't think they have any plans to go back after that. Yeah, the isolation. Everybody who has any business in with Russia is closing down. I, I think that the, the Cold War is going to be even more stark. The Iron Curtain is going to be thicker because you've got just about the entire planet blocking them off. And I can't imagine their economy isn't going to suffer mightily. And the people of Russia will have to take some steps to change their government or this is going to be devastating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't I think that obviously there are huge ramifications that we, we just don't know yet. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Even after the COVID pandemic ends, should we all be wearing masks each year during the flu season? Lisa, what happened to the expected flu season over this winter? Boy, it wasn't much of a season at all, although we're still in it, so we could still still see some cases here. But Northeast Ohio has joined, enjoyed its second mild flu season in a row. In Cuyahoga County, there were only 45 flu-related hospitalizations and one death so far. That was an 83-year-old man. Um, there were, and that compares to the pre-COVID pandemic when we had 39 deaths and 2,000 hospitalizations for flu in 2019. Medina and Summit counties also have vastly lower numbers. Medina County didn't have any deaths, and Summit County only had two flu deaths so far. So um, even as COVID restrictions have eased, people are taking off masks and hanging out in crowds and going to restaurants again. So why is this happening? Well, we talked to Dr. Christine Alexander, who is the Metro Health Family Medicine Chair, and she said that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, people are 
are, you know, wearing masks, they're doing their hand hygiene, social distancing, they're working from home, there's less international, uh, you know, travel. Also, she says that the flu shot's been really more effective this year. However, kind of alarming, fewer people got the flu shot this year, 20 million fewer Americans got a flu shot this year, which is kind of weird. But uh, Alexander also says... I don't think we can expect a third mild flu season, she says, especially if COVID precautions completely disappear. She really hopes that can people to continue to wear masks anyway. And Chris, I remember you saying in the first year of the pandemic that you didn't even catch a cold because you were wearing a mask. And once you took the mask off, you caught a cold. Yeah, I got sick as a dog right away. It was almost instantly. I do wonder, though, if the work from home movement, which will continue in a hybrid form, I think, in most offices, will also help keep a damper on it in future years. Let's face it, a lot of us contracted it from co-workers in the offices. And, and it, once the masks come off, if you're still showing up at the office five days a week, you're more exposed to it. I just, I wonder if it will be reduced for a while. It's interesting that they say that the flu shot made a difference because when we got the shot last fall, we were told they miscalculated and they had the wrong strain. So it's it's odd that they're taking credit for that when it was not the strain that ended up coming. Right. Yeah. But, and it's alarming to me that 20 million people decided we're not going to get a flu shot this year. That's kind of weird. I, that I might do be part- think, though, that working from home will help because how many people go in the office when they're, like, not feeling great because mm-hmm. they just don't want to use a sick day? And now that will not be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 yeah, I think I think there's some things that will change it. I do wonder, though, if there will be people that just say, you know, once fall hits, I'm wearing a mask because I don't want to get the flu. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're wearing a mask, Lisa, you don't really need the flu shot because you're not exposed to it. So maybe they've decided that they'd rather avoid the vaccine anyway you won't get your five dollar gift to target when you get your (laughs) (laughs) the all-important inducement you're listening to today in ohio how many bald eagle nests do we have in ohio and how has the number grown in recent years laura i was surprised that it was so in so many counties it's almost everywhere now Yeah, huge. Ohio has an estimated 110 new nesting sites added to the count since the last statewide bald eagle census, and that was just in 2020. So, I mean, we're really growing now. Uh, The 2020 census had put the number of nests at about 707 across 85 of Ohio's 88 counties, and now we've got about 817. The last bald eagle census before that was 2012. There were only 281 documented nests around 59 counties. And back in 1979, there were only four known active bald eagle nests in the whole state. So the reason for the dramatic increase in eagles is a healthier environment, including a cleaner Lake Erie. We don't use DDT anymore, which is hugely helpful for the birds. Plus, we're making a much greater effort in finding the eagles and doing a better job with the census. And the greatest concentration of the eagles in Ohio is along Lake Erie shoreline and in the central part of the state where there's a lot of lakes and nearby marshes, so we have an abundance of fish. The 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 closest nests to Cleveland, are they still in Avon Lake and down at the National Park? Yeah, and Avon Lake is so great because it's at an elementary school, right? And so these kids get to 
help document them. And we always get news releases from the school district with like the latest from there. They, they have a cam with a YouTube channel so you can watch. Um, so that's really great. And then the Brexville one that everybody knows about, which is actually in the Metro Parks, but mostly viewed from the National Park. I guess they're not not active this year, but there are a couple of other spots and they're keeping kind of tight lipped about where they are because you have some very skittish eagles there. But I mean, those those sites make sense. You're near the lake, near the river. And I hope um, and these nests are huge. I mean, they're feet across because bald eagles are really big. So um, hopefully, I mean, it's always cool to see one. The one yeah. in the National Park is in a tree that's been dead for quite some number of years. And that nest weighs quite a bit, as you point out. It's very heavy. And I keep wondering when that thing's just going to go over because eventually the wood rots and they'll have to go find another home. It's a cool You can see it from across the river, so you're mm-hmm. not intruding on the mm-hmm. the nest. you got to hike back and... It takes a little bit to spot it, but it's pretty cool. One of the years I was out there, I guess the egg didn't work, and the Canada geese had taken over the nest. It was so weird to see the Canada goose head sticking up from the (laughs) eagle's nest. Oh, and I'm sure that goose was probably very mean about it. But uh, one other cool fact I learned was that the Cleveland Museum of Natural History had hatched eaglets in captivity and reintroduced them to the wild for a lot of years, and that... Uh, breeding program ended in 1999 so we've that the museum has helped increase the eagle population that's great i just saw one yesterday at sims park in euclid it was soaring over the coastline it was beautiful sight where i see them most often is driving down the turnpike they fly right over right over your car it's the coolest thing you can't miss them because they're so distinctive you're listening to today in ohio How is Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb handling his first State of the City address? Where will it be and who can attend? Lisa, this is almost like a hybrid of the former State of the City addresses that were long done and the newer versions that Frank Jackson brought in in his later years. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Bibb is kind of returning to tradition. He's holding his first State of the City address on April 13th, which is a Wednesday at 7 p.m. It will be at the Maltz Performing Arts Center on the Case Western Reserve University campus. Um, in you know, Jackson had done the spring State of the City until 2018, and then he started giving it in the early fall without the involvement of the City Club of Cleveland, which usually hosted the State of the City, which they are doing again this year. Audience questions must be submitted ahead of time. City Club staff will choose which ones that will be used in the Q&A session after Bib's speech. Bib will not see these questions beforehand, so he won't get to practice what he gets to say. This is a free event. Tickets are required. You get two tickets maximum per person. You can go to the Maltz Center website to uh, get those tickets. They're also providing free parking and transportation. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, a, a brand new, you know, young mayor, it's going to be interesting to see what he has to say. Well, just so for context, for years, the state of the city was done in the middle of the day, and it was the who's who of leadership of Cleveland. Every bank president and nonprofit leader would show up, and you had very few members of the public, people from the neighborhoods. It was a business event, really. So Frank Jackson, two or three, four years ago, decided, I'm not doing that anymore. I want it to be for the people. So he set it up at night, made it free. You didn't have to buy a ticket like you had to at the city club and put it in public hall and city council people brought people down and it was a much more of the people event he had also moved it to the fall for some reason 
So Justin Bibbs moving it back to the spring, but he's still kind of adopting that of the people thing. It's not in the mm-hmm. middle of the day. It's in the evening, and anybody can attend. I think it's a good sign that he maintained that. Frank Jackson's evening versions of the city, the, the state of the city speeches were pretty well attended. I mean, I, mm-hmm. was, I went to a couple of them and was surprised at how many people were bussed in, and it was not the normal cast of, of bankers and nonprofit leaders. So pretty cool. And the fact he's doing it on his 100th day is interesting because mm-hmm. people are all going to ask him about his 100-day plan and how much he's accomplished. He's pretty confident, I suppose, that he'll have lots of good things to say. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the silver linings of the pandemic, according to readers of Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer? Laura, as you well know, yesterday was the second anniversary of the first case in Ohio, so we're now in the third year of the pandemic. We asked on the subtext account I send out each day what habits people had adopted that they're going to keep, and it was a, it was a pretty nice collection of ideas. Yeah, if you're feeling depressed about the pandemic, you need to go read this story. It's, it's uplifting. And it's not just the, you know, we learned how to make sourdough bread, which I'm sorry, I never had time to make sourdough bread. <laughs> Although I really like sourdough bread. A lot of people exercised more. They embraced the outdoors. I mean, we saw purchases of bikes and paddleboards just skyrocket. So people have really embraced that getting outside and for exercise. People found ways to use technology for everything from music lessons to family reunions. There's a, a person that emailed us and said every I think every Saturday at 2, whoever's available will hop on a Zoom call just to check in with each other. And before, they used to go months without seeing each other. So now they get a weekly catch-up. Um, one person paid up all their credit card balances, which that is fantastic. Somebody gave up alcohol. A lot of people are practicing gratitude. There's a lot of people that took up hobbies like cooking, reading, and crafting because they had more time. And I think we've been all about comfort during the pandemic. I've I've written about how I bought a lot more sweatshirts. One woman let her hair go gray. She stopped wearing bras and makeup and she is much happier. So good for good for you. Yeah, it was it was a heartwarming response. You know, we've talked and talked about all of the deprivations of the pandemic and how it's harmed children's education. And there's so many ways this has created hardship for the community. So this was very cool. That subtext account where the people that uh, subscribe to that, it's up to about a thousand they, they are just the greatest people. Every they time are. I ask a question, they come back with all this thoughtful stuff. It's the one of the nicest form of engagement I've ever gotten. And very few of them call me mean names and say mean <laughs> things. There's a few. I think I have my head up somewhere. But, but most of them are, are, quite, um, are, are quite helpful every time we ask a question like this. So, and, you know, we, when we run these responses, we keep it anonymous because it's a safe space and we don't want to put them up for ridicule. But one of the first responses was the guy with the credit cards. And I thought, man, how cool is that? Yeah. He, he used this time. He had, I think he said he had five credit cards with high balances. He paid them all off. And now anything he buys each month, he pays for. And he plans on maintaining that. Talk about a positive mm-hmm. coming yeah, out of I a mean, colossal ha- negative. Because we, for a while, there was like really nothing to spend money on, right? And then we did get help from the government. And then to be able to, to just be thoughtful about that and, and create a goal and achieve it, I mean, hats off. That's, that's spectacular. 
What I want to know is if all these people that learn to play musical instruments are going to form the Cleveland Pandemic Band that we'll still be talking about 100 years from now. But they're going to always play on Zoom. Like, they're never going to actually gather in person. Well, and and speaking of Zoom, I wonder, because I I don't know about y'all, but I have Zoom fatigue, and I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people do. So I wonder if the usage of Zoom will drop significantly. I mean, obviously, it's a great way for us to have meetings, you know, as an editorial board and as podcasters but I, I just I, I I'm tired of it quite honestly I wonder if other people are too I but see it's so nice that you could just have a meeting without like leaving the house 45 minutes in advance no and the, and you but you still have the connection because you're looking usually unless you turn the camera off because you like want to you. multitask yeah right. I, which I'm, <laughs> or bored to tears and you don't want people to see your facial expressions and your eye rolls uh, but but it's still a way to connect with people that that makes things easy and I agree with you Laura I mean I, I used to have to go to meetings sometimes at 7:30 in the morning downtown that's just stupid you can do that from home and and avoid that kind of mad rush. I think that's here to stay. Uh, Although Lisa, I do agree with you that there's nothing like the in-person human connection, which we're going to be doing in our office on St. Patrick's Day. The last time we think we'll be able to see the St. Patrick's Day outside our window. So I agree with you both, but I, you cannot multitask in a, in a in-person meeting and you can on zoom, which is really nice. And I do the person that said they have their weekly catch-ups with their family. I think that's great. And my high school friends and I, we don't do it super often, but it's rare. We can all get together. We live all across the country but we've had a couple of these um you know facetime meetups and it's so nice to see each other in the, in their homes and just talk um that we never ever did before the pandemic so it makes you think about connections right look i <laughs> i'm not a video game guy but i have spent some sunday mornings with my son my daughter-in-law and my grandson my wife and i playing on the nintendo switch games going through some mario thing i don't know what it is but it's a way of engaging that you can't do mm-hmm. easily uh, when you're not getting together as often so very positive stuff check out the story laura's right it'll make you feel good it's today in ohio and that's it for thursday we'll be back friday to wrap up the week of news maybe the supreme court will finally make a ruling in the gerrymandering case thank you lisa thank you laura layla will be back tomorrow thanks to everybody who listens mm-hmm.